At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Yo, yo, I'm Peter J. Kim on the Food 52 Podcast Network. And we are back with Season 2 of Counter Jam, the show that celebrates culture through food and music. Hoo boy, am I excited because we are kicking off the new season by looking at Mexican culture. And if I had to describe the culture in one word, it would be rico, which is Spanish for rich. Mexico is rich with history, rich with tradition, rich with ingredients and flavor, and rich with creativity. We're going to go on a little trip from Mexico to California with Felipe Esparza, one of the funniest comedians in the game, and Chef Enrique Overa, who is one of the world's most well-known chefs. We're going to talk salsa, bugs, tortillas, and I'll even stick my foot in my mouth by professing to Chef Enrique that I love Taco Bell. I'm sorry, what can I say? The Crunchwrap Supreme holds a fond, hexagonal place in my heart. This groove you're listening to is a tune from the Nortec Collective, a group of producers from Tijuana, Mexico, who, back in the early 2000s, created an entirely new genre of music called Nortec, which is a portmanteau of Norteño, or Northern, and Techno. They take Mexican banda music, which features bright brass hooks over chest-rattling tuba lines, and weave that into irresistible house rhythms. And as you can hear, it's crazy how well it works. I particularly enjoy the jazzy, deep house chords and driving rhythm of this track. I recommend turning it up and letting the hypnotic groove just wash over you. It's called Almada from the Nortec Collective. Almada from the Nortec Collective. For this episode, we're going to start in Mexico and hear from Enrique Olvera and Felipe Esparza about the diverse facets of Mexican food culture. And then we're going to hear Felipe's incredible story of coming to this country as a, gasp, illegal immigrant. He then grew up in Southern California and we'll hear about how Mexican traditions did and did not come with his family to the U.S. I'm excited for you to come along for this ride. And what better place to start in Mexico than with the taco? Here's Enrique's take on what makes perfect taco. Obviously, the quality of the tortilla is, uh, is very important. Uh, and then understanding how the tortilla interacts with the filling. If you have a dry filling, you might have a thinner tortilla, whereas mm. you have a, a soupy or a, a more liquid 
feeling you might need either two tortillas or a thicker tortilla like they oh, do yeah. in Michoacan. Uh, and then I, something that to me is very important and, and I always, uh, whenever we're working with the, with the chefs at the restaurants, I always tell them, make sure that the taco has a good proportion. I don't like oversized tacos because then you can't close them. They break, they break. Uh, no. So I think that is also super important that the eating experience is, uh, even if it's soupy and you might need to fold the back of the tortilla to uh, contain the liquid, the, the tortilla shouldn't break as easily. And then obviously to me, what gives a taco most of it, of the flavor is the salsa. Uh, a lot of Mexicans say that uh, good taquerias are known for their salsas, not necessarily for their tacos, no? Because the salsa, no, it's what brings everything alive. And I think the, the most, I wouldn't say important, but it's, it's what brings everything together. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. most tacos tend to be simple if you think about them, no? Like yeah. the feel, I mean, you can have just like, a, for example, a tortilla with rice, which is a, a, a rice taco. And then if you add like good, like a really good salsa, you're in a good place. Absolutely. You know what I love about tacos? I just realized this, actually. It's the same thing I love about sushi. It's that a taco, in, when done, in, you know, for me, done really well, it's a composed bite. It's something that you don't really have to even think about or it's just it's like the chef has made a perfect bite for you essentially and you just put it in your mouth um and i love that's one thing i just love about sushi is like you know when you eat a, a nice sushi meal it's just like bite after bite of composed bites where everything is just so perfect <laughs> and you know when it's done well and i feel the same way about tacos i just i love the fact that it's this perfect little bite all like wrapped up perfectly yeah and ideally it's served also like sushi and also it's served from the taquero to you, because uh, most most restaurants know that serve tacos. It's really hard to to keep the tortilla warm, that the tortilla doesn't get soggy. I think, like like you said, like sushi, uh, most tacos are also very personal in small taquerias, and the way you eat it is also important. Yeah, one of the things I feel really. Uh, from an outsider's perspective, defines uh, Mexican cuisine as a whole is just the incredible diversity of ingredients available in Mexico. And I think it's just due to there being so many different environments within Mexico and so many different traditions. What are some of the most compelling ingredients that you've come across? Well, I, I, to me, uh, uh, for example, all the, all the insects, uh, more than the novelty, uh, have a, a lot of flavor. Oh, yeah. Uh, if we, I was in, like I said, I was in Oaxaca this weekend. No, and we had a michelada, and they put uh, grasshopper salt on the rim of the michelada, mm. and it was just a completely different michelada. No, and the same with ants, and the same with worms. Yeah, the the intensity of the flavor of the insects mm-hmm. uh, are are uncomparable. Uh, obviously, uh, the, all the the varietals of corn is also something that never seems to to amaze me i don't know if you're familiar but every little stem of corn is different no every every, every little grain is, is different so like it, it brings a symbol between humanity and corn no because mm. not only every kernel is different but every, every little grain mm-hmm. uh, and i think the the beauty about mexico and its diversity is not only the ingredient wise but also the cultural aspect uh Cuisine in Mexico uh, doesn't have a, a, an author. 
No, there's no, nobody, uh, I mean, you would have to be crazy to say that you invented the mole. No? Probably somebody <laughs> at some point started some kind of adobo, but all the, all the recipes were developed by communities and they belong to the communities. That gave them a lot of diversity, you know, because every family had a little bit of a variation on the same recipe. And that also gives you, you know, I, I think, uh, a stronger cuisine. When you were talking about insects, it, were, it brought back this memory for me. So I lived in Cameroon in Central Africa for two and a half years. And there were these insects, these termites, they're flying termites. Um, and on like the when the rains would first come out, these like a whole cloud of these termites would go flying out and males and females. And the crazy thing is that their wings were programmed to like fall off at a certain point. And what would happen is the wings would just fall off and then they would hit the ground. And I guess what would happen is if a male and a female landed together, they would just mate and maybe create a new termite mound. But the reality was all animals and humans were like waiting around for this to happen. And so when the wings fall off and they hit the ground, everybody's like grabbing them, right? Um, I had uh, a light on when this happened the first time I experienced it and they all fluttered around the light and then their wings all fell off and they hit the ground and I, I gathered them up and I happened to remember my friend tell me that you should save those because they're delicious. So I, I saved them and then I fried them up and all this fat came out. And the thing is they're really fat because they need to have all this energy for the trip and to start a new termite mound. And the best way I can describe it is it was almost like insect bacon. And it was just so delicious and I was, my mind was blown. And I really think that winged termites would be a really great entry point for anybody who's like kind of squeamish about eating insects because like fatty and just umami and delicious. Yeah, that sounds very similar to the Chicatana ants tradition in, in southern Mexico. Aha. Uh -huh. Maybe they're relatives, the, the termites and the Chicatanas from Mexico. It's a very similar tradition, no? With the first rain of the season, the Chicatanas fly. All people from the community collect them, children, women, men, adults. And they're precious. They're, sometimes they can reach a couple hundred dollars per kilo. As I noted at the beginning of the show, Chef Enrique is one of the most well-regarded chefs in the world. Within Mexico, he's widely credited with having pioneered the fusion of traditional Mexican techniques and indigenous ingredients with the rigor and art of fine dining. His flagship restaurant, Puyol, is known for its innovative presentation of classic Mexican food culture. So just by way of example, One of the restaurant's most well-known dishes is a dish called mole madre. It's simply composed of two things. On the one hand, a circular pool of mole nuevo, or a mole sauce that has been recently made, and then a pool that surrounds this pool of mole madre, which is Spanish for mother mole. And this is a mole sauce that is quite old. At this point, it's over 2,000 days old. It's served with tortillas, and that's it. Boom. Tradition on a plate. This dish perfectly represents Chef Enrique's passionate dedication to what makes Mexican food so special. Straight up, there are very few people in Mexico, I'd say, who have seen and studied the sheer breadth and depth of Mexican cuisine in the way that he has. And yeah, I gotta get myself to Oaxaca and get me some of those Chicatana ants. <laughs> so let's turn for a second to Mexican music. Here's what Felipe Esparza had to say about the music of Sinaloa, which is the region where he was born. My family listened to um, Norteña music. Is it like is it like banda music, like with like a lot of brass? Yeah, mostly to, uh, tubas. Yeah. 
mostly like um, temp, uh, big bands. This is the kind of music where like you hear the tuba that's kind of like womp, womp, womp. Kind of like, um, you ever heard polka music? Yeah. No, just add lyrics and that's Norteño music. I had a truck full of coke. They got busted in Mexico. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that one of my jokes. I said in Tampa and uh, Florida last week. I said that I'm a big fan of uh, crime books like The Godfather, Italian Mafia, Japanese Yakuza, um, Northern Italy, Negretta, all that mafia. But what's different is that when you when you learn about Al Capone, there's no no one wrote a song about Al Capone. Right. But when you when you when you listen to Mexican mafiosos, you could look up any any mafia guy, from Pablo Acosta, to El Chapo, <laughs> and you'll find a song related to what you're reading. <laughs> it's so funny because like when you listen to it. And you don't know, I mean, I speak Spanish, so I can understand a lot of the lyrics, but like for somebody, but if you're just listening to the music, you would think that the music it must be about something really innocuous because it's so, well, it's like very friendly, right? But no, it's about gangsters. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'll try to explain it. Like you guys might have a country song about your truck breaking down and your dog leaving you and your wife leaving you. But now a Mexican song, we sing about that truck. Taking us to paradise with a bunch of coke. <laughs> Salieron de San Isidro. loves de coca. I'm just like imagining like parents sitting around their lawn chairs and like watching the kids play and listening to this. Felipe also spoke to one Mexican ingredient that I certainly had never heard of. I should note, Felipe is vegan. So he's particularly keen on his fruits and vegetables. I want to tell you something about that I grew up eating grow in Mexico mm-hmm. that they don't have here in America. I grew up in a next to a town called Huamuchil in that region of Sinaloa. There's a gum-based candy that grows on a tree, mm. and you pick it out, and you chew on it, and it tastes exactly like gum. But it's a fruit, and a lot of those natives in that area... They wait for it to dry up, and they make little little dolls, little white dolls of of men of men sitting in a hat. That they you they they stretch it out and they make hats. But if you eat it just like that, it it, it tastes like a rosary, like a rosary, flowery, sugary taste, man. Like it tastes delicious. So you chewed that when you were a kid, then? Yeah, we chewed that as a kid, like like poor yeah. man gum. And have you had it since? No, they don't have it over here. Like my mother, my, my grandmother, my uncle, my grandfather, they'll, they'll be walking in the street. And they go, hey, I'm watching. And my dad, my grandfather will get on top of the tree and grab a ranch and then start picking it out and giving it to us like experiment gum. What? <laughs> Sounds pretty amazing. You know what it tastes like? Imagine what a, fr- what a goji berry would taste if it was fresh, not dry. Now, watch out. Like if you put this on TikTok... Everybody's going to be all over this. <laughs> oh, bro. I'm going to be the Wamuchil king, bro. I'm going to have Wamuchil raspado, Wamuchil uber bread, Wamuchil everything, dog. <laughs> You're like, follow, 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 and then... Yeah, man. Get, get at my Wamuchil taffy. <laughs> and then that's how Wamuchil stopped existing in Mexico. The end. Yeah, man. I bet you Wamuchil makes it to America... They'll, they'll, they'll write legislation, bro, to keep the plant out of, Mexico, out of the United States 
because it'll, it'll compete with gum base to make gum. Oh my God. That's what they're going to say is like this Mexican gum is coming in here, stealing customers from good old American gum, right? Taking our money, sending it all back home. Yeah, man. Huh. Well, one day, one day, Felipe, you're going to be the mob boss no, of the Glamour. Yeah, in. exactly. And there's going to be a song. Name about after you. me. Yeah, you got it, man. You're paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> We're a three piece band. Yes. <laughs> he brought in a Wamuchin. <laughs> that's, that's, that'd be my next show, bro. Wamuchin Kingpin. Yeah, yeah. So long, our vegan <laughs> Wamuchi Kingpin. Adios. Adios. Coming soon to a grocery store near you, Don Felipe's Guamuchi Gum. I'll be the one singing the gum's jingle. <laughs> Bringing things back to Enrique, he was born in Mexico City and one of his grandmas is from Tabasco, which is in the south of Mexico. Speaking of Mexico's rich history, Tabasco was once the seat of the Olmec civilization. We're talking like four millennia ago. Many consider Tabasco to have one of the cuisines that is richest in pre-Hispanic traditions. I asked Enrique what kinds of food his grandma cooked. The one that I like the most that she prepared is frijol con puerco, which uh, translates to pork and beans. They, they use very small pinto bean that looks like a little cow. So those beans are very precious and you would serve them with dry aged pork. So the pork gets sliced into very thin sabanas, no, like a blanket, and those get dried, and they get cooked inside of the inside of the black beans, and they're served with. I'm starting to salivate, <laughs> and they're they're served with a little salsa that is my favorite salsa, which is just in the molcajete you do a little salt. Then you add the amachito chile, which is a wild chile, and then add a lot of lime juice. So does the beef have, or the, the pork have a kind of chewy texture from being dried before cooked? Yeah, so it has, because it, it's dried and then cooked inside the beans, it has like a chewy, uh, uh, and it has a lot of salt. Yeah. It's it's on the salty side. Yeah. And, and that normally also gets served with uh, radishes on the side. Mm. And something that she also did a lot is that she always had uh, some kind of banana or plantain for whatever you ate. So if you had like <laughs> breakfast cereal, she would add banana. If you're having <laughs> pork and beans, she would have fried plantains. Uh, you know, whatever she cooked, there was always fried plantains or uh, kind of like a toston, yeah. but not, not the Venezuelan style that is smashed green plantain, but actually a very mature plantain that just get gets like barely squashed and then fried chef you're making me realize there's a really hard question which is is there a food or a dish that exists in the world with which either a banana or a plantain would not go well with it <laughs> um i'm sure there is i can't think of one maybe maybe a hard-boiled egg <laughs> i think a hard-boiled egg on some like fried plantains would be really delicious <laughs> maybe it's because I don't like uh, hard-boiled legs that much. Maybe that's why that okay. came to my mind. Fair. Okay, if you take something you don't like, period, then nothing's going to go well with it, of course. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Enrique's grandma was onto something. Maybe everything goes with bananas or plantains. Have we just stumbled upon a culinary theory of everything? 
Can you think of a food that wouldn't work with one or the other? Okay, okay. I mean, in the time since doing this interview, I've thought of plenty of things that don't go well with either. But still, super versatile. I asked Enrique about holidays and celebratory meals in Mexico. For my birthday, my mom always did octopus, and that's one of my favorite dishes. So it's an octopus just cooked on its ink with red wine, lots of onion, and a, a little bay leaf. And that normally was served also with rice, with white rice, with some, uh, some peas on the rice. So that, that was always very special. Of course, around Mexican Independence Day, a lot of people made uh, chiles and nogada. My mom likes to make them only once. So that was also a special occasion. So actually for the, our listeners who aren't as familiar with these dishes, uh, the, the dishes you mentioned for the Independence Day, the chiles and the pozole, could you just describe what those dishes are like? Yeah, so the chile nogada is a dish from the conventional ages of Mexico. So it was created by nuns. It's a, a poblano chile that is stuffed with ground meat, normally a mix between beef and pork, sometimes only pork, and then the fruits of the season. So it has apples. And, and this, this dish comes from the Puebla region. All the fruit that grows locally here in Mexico tends to be smaller. So apples are really small. Peaches are also really uh, small. And those get served with uh, sauce made with, with walnuts that, that's what it's called nogada. Mm. The sauce is basically, right. depending on how you talk to, you no, know, it could be cream, goat cheese, the walnuts, and then a cherry, cherry wine. And that covers the stuffed poblano pepper with mm. the mince fruits mm. and the, meat, the mince meat. Purists say that it shouldn't be ground meat, but actually chopped meat. And then on top, they put pomegranate. So it's the three. Wow. It's one of those dishes that has the color of the flag, which I would normally say that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but in this case, it's actually delicious. And there's also uh, uh, every, every season of Chiles en Hogada, there's a competition in Puebla and people that decide to capearlos, which means that they get uh, fried into a, like a little egg, a little egg wash. Yeah. Uh, some people say they're hot. Some people say they're cold. Some people say they have some people say they don't. I personally like them look warm without the egg wash. That's my favorite, no? But yeah. some people might say it's not. <laughs> I was expecting like a very, just a few words. And like what shines through when you're talking about it is that this is clearly a dish that you liked. <laughs> you wouldn't talk like this about a hard boiled egg. <laughs> Next up, we'll hear from Felipe about his You've Got to Hear It to Believe It journey across the border. I will hear from him and Enrique about Mexican food in America right after this. Now that we've gotten some insight into Mexican food on the Mexican side of the border, it's time to go to the States. Let's hear from Felipe about how he came over to the U.S. My father's uh, family, most of his sisters, I would say the majority of his sisters, migrated to Los Angeles before my dad and they all had jobs at um, Warner Brothers Record Company Distribution. Yeah. Before CDs, before um, cassettes, there was an actual record, an LP, 33-inch. And m my dad's sisters, they used to work at the place where they put the records in a box oh, and wow. seal them. <laughs> <laughs> so they were, they were putting re they were put in an album, and they shoot them out into a machine, and yeah. the machine will wrap them. And they did wow. that all day. So when my dad came over and 
to America. He lived here for like a, a two years and we were living in Mexico. My dad said, you guys should come over here. We went to the, we crossed the border the first time. Like, I don't know, we were in a car with a strange man and we get pulled over. And I, I guess the man kept driving and we had, we were on the side of the road and we got arrested. We went to um, the border patrol, I guess, check-in place. And we, we were released back yeah. into Mexico. And then the second time we made it all the way through, but there was like, um, I guess, Minutemen, I don't know. Yeah. And we already made the border, but uh, I guess the uh, conservative people in that area decided to have like a second border, second border check <laughs> oh, that they made damn. up on their own. So um, deputy sheriffs and they would stand right there in San Clemente on a freeway and do um, randomly checkpoints on their own. Oh my God. Just, just stopping cars. And they stopped us and they sent us back. Oh, man. Um, I learned from another comedian who was crossing at the same year that I was. He said that you could have told the Border Patrol we're going to Disneyland. And they would let you in. <laughs> really? Because <laughs> they were expecting them to come back home, come back to the United States right after. Right, right. But there was too many people not coming back from Disneyland going out to Magic Mountain. Yeah, and you've got all your suitcases with you and, like, all the bags and everything. Yeah, oh, we're just going to... The Disneyland, you know. Well, the suitcases, cause <laughs> we're gonna dress up like costumes when we get there. We're Mickey Mouse, exactly. and that's Goofy. <laughs> we're the chipmunks. When they finally caught us the second time, we we're in Mexico, and then by that time it, it became a joke that they caught us again. So my aunt said, "You know what? I have a good idea. We're gonna have our cousins from United States come visit us." So she brought, she went to Mexico, United States, and brought back their passport with her. But there were like three passports. We were three boys, and one of the passports was for a girl, <laughs> like a baby girl. And I said, and we were little kids, so obviously my mom made my little brother dress up like a girl. Oh my god! She didn't tell him. She just one day started dressing him up like a little girl. Nobody asked why. <laughs> and my brother walking around dressed like a little girl like with a skirt a dress pee standing up he has no idea what's going on so finally on the two days before the we go to the border my mom is prepping my brother when we get there your name is Patty you tell the cops Patty so for a day and a half we were just referred to my brother as Patty wow yeah man he was a method actor <laughs> like some Daniel Day Lewis at like age, you know, oh, yeah, whatever. Man. We get to the border. My brother has a little skirt, brand new, little baby socks, um, pigtails, a little bit of makeup. Put it this way, man. My brother looked like a little girl ready to do a silent movie. Yeah, yeah. And when we get there, they ask my brother, What's your name? My name is Patty. <laughs> and to this day, my brother's still potty. He's gay now. He didn't come out of the closet. He came out of the country. <laughs> you know, you got to wonder whether an experience like that early on just sort of like unlocked the, unlocked the possibility to be like, maybe I am like a little different. I know, right? It was meant to be.
Wow, that is one hell of a story. And let's not forget that the process of trying to make it across the border can be a terrifying and dangerous experience. I'm sure it wasn't easy for him or his family. Felipe preserves this memory through humor. I mean, this is what he does so effectively. He takes the darkness of a lot of life experiences and makes them shine by turning them into jokes. But I can only imagine that many would prefer to forget their experience crossing over. And it's on that note that I want to play for you this song by the Nortec Collective, Olvida la Compa, which translates to Forget Her Friend. I have to say, on a side note, it's really quite meaningful for me to share this music with you because the Nortec Collective holds a special place for me. It helped me get through some tough times in my life. Some of their songs, like this one, are more meditative and down-tempo, and they can transport you to other worlds. So here's Orvira La Compa by the Nortec Collective. So, we left off with Felipe arriving in California. His family may have been poor in certain ways, but they were damn well rico in others. When I was a little boy, we ain't, we never starved, man. We yeah. might have been like considered poor to some people, but we ain't good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We would go to my aunt's house in the west side of um, Los Angeles. My aunt had this big kettle like this, a huge kettle. And she would put like these two blocks of fat, of um, lard, and then they'll start bu- bubbling up, man. Like it's like all oil, and then they start throwing in their other meats and other fat, and um, we're we're eating like pork rinds mm. and uh, chicharron, yeah, and big old carnitas, bro, oh, like yeah. real ch- short carnitas, and we're eating tacos there all day long. Even the dog got a bone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this was, t- I mean, we we're eating all day. Like, I don't know if you ever had chicharrones. Oh, yeah. I have, rice, I have, I've eaten a lot of chicharrones. Barely, they, like, they barely come out of, like, the, the oil. There's maybe, like, a, a one little strip of meat, but the rest is all fat. Yeah. And let me tell you, man, like, when you bite into it, you can taste that it's just fat. And oh, then, yeah. like, it, if you don't, it burns your throat. But, man, it is fucking delicious. There was a time I went to Juarez, 
and I went into the market there, and I discovered something called colitas de pavo. Oh, turkey tails? And I never which, had that. What is that? Yeah, turkey ass. You know, in the U.S., we never see turkey tails. You just get the turkey, turkey, but the next. tails are there. Yeah, like, where is the turkey tail going? Well, they're going to Juarez, apparently, because they're like, you see like a mountain of these like fried turkey tails, and um, and they're fried crisp. And then when you pop one in your mouth, I mean, it's just an explosion of fat and juice, like when you bite into it. When you get into that like zone where you're like getting the sweats and you're like really feeling it, like I'm just like popping these tails one after another. And I'm just like, there was a turkey per tail. So if I eat like a dozen of these, I've like gone through 12 turkeys. Um, I never heard, I've never heard of that, man. Yeah. Cola de pavo. Colitas. Colitas. Yeah. I asked him about day-to-day eating at home. With six kids and two adults at home, Felipe's mom had her hands full. When I was growing up, we would buy ground beef, but never had hamburger. We would buy sliced bread, but never had grilled cheese or peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, man. Fuck. My mom would buy, I don't know how many pounds of ground beef it was, but she will break it down in five meals, and all the five meals sucked. <laughs> she would get like a can of vegetables, the libbies, Oh, yes? Yeah, 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 yeah. The one that had um, corn, green beans, and carrots in it, and potatoes, the little tiny ones. She'll get two of those cans and mix it up with a pound of ground beef. And then on the side, we will eat white rice. Right. So that ground beef with vegetables with white rice. Or if it wasn't that, it was that ground beef with vegetables with uh, beans, side of beans. Right, right. Or... We would also eat a lot of potato tacos. Mm. My mom would make that ground beef and mix it up with potatoes and just fried tacos to her hand got tired. Wow. And one thing I love and still love is flour tortillas. Yeah. My mom would make flour tortillas every week. So every week we had like around five dozen tortillas. Wow. We ate flour tortillas in the morning and night, sometimes with butter and sugar for dessert. It was like a Mexican crepe, Mexican crepe. Felipe noticeably lit up when he talked about one of his childhood favorites, a dish called fideo. It's just dry Italian pasta, like either alphabet, but it's it's kind of like like the Chinese version of uh, fried noodles. But yeah. what we do is we um we fry the noodles first with oil, and then add tomato sauce, onion, and then chicken broth, and then more water. And then we serve it in a bowl with on the side with either a drumstick or some people, like my dad, we put a hard-boiled egg inside. But it ain't finished unless you put mayonnaise inside. Oh, yeah. I don't know where that came <laughs> from, but we love it with mayonnaise. I would be hard-pressed to find foods that are not made better by mayonnaise. So, you know, um, is that something that would be, like, typical from Sinaloa? Do you know? I think so. Or, or like a, I think I think if a restaurant were a salad, people would buy it. It's like a comfort food. It's like yeah, yeah. Uh, when that man in that movie Ratatouille, when, yeah, he, yeah. when he ate that Ratatouille. <laughs> yes. I was doing a comedy show in Tucson, Arizona with Paul Rodriguez and a bunch of um, Mexican-American Chicano bands that play rock from the 70s. And there was a big old court, like a little half court of Fideo in a Tupperware. It was Fideo was chicken inside of it. And then the side, there was a little a little bit of mayonnaise and um, lemon and 
onions and tortillas. Mm. And I asked before I touched it, I said, who is this for? He goes, it's for the lead singer of war. Oh, wow. He he had he a writer that he has to eat video before the show. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so this is this is an African-American man who grew up in Los Angeles and has a taste for the Mexican soup. I love it. I love it. So you just like mix the mayonnaise into it? Yeah. One little scoop. You, you buy your tortilla and you get a scoop of that mayonnaise with the soup and the noodles and the chicken and you eat it like that. If you followed recent food trends, you probably know about the birria taco. Tacos dunked in a meaty adobo broth and then pan-fried until they're crispy. For who knows what reason they blew up on social media in 2020. But yo, Felipe's family, they were rocking birria tacos before the internet existed. Birria, it was something that um, you look forward to eat on, on, Chris, on uh, weddings. Or uh, like, a, like if you went to a wedding and for like a Mexican man when I was a little kid, the whole wedding was catered by birria. Like they would kill three goats. And uh, mo- mo- most of the birria that we ate growing up was made out of goat meat. Now it's beef or whatever. But you want to hear a funny story. When I was like three years old, we went to a, this place in Rosemead, California. Rosemead, by the way, it's a city. It's not a ranch, it's not a countryside, but there was a house there and they slaughtered animals there illegally, I guess. I don't know, but they had chickens, they had pigs. We didn't know this. My little brother and I were playing with these three goats. We're like feeding them. We're little, we don't yeah. know. I thought it was a petting zoo. <laughs> so I'm feeding these goats. Next to you know this, these, these um, older Mexican guy grab our goats. And they slit their throats right in front of us. Oh, my God. And they just run around screaming with no heads, you know, while, with their head hanging, with their squirting blood everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just sad, man. Yep. And the next day, we we baptized my little brother and we ate him. Yeah. And you're like, and that is how your tacos are made. Now, what Felipe ate growing up in the U.S. is a far cry from what many of us grew up eating and understanding as Mexican food. I asked Enrique to talk about his first experiences eating Mexican food in the U.S. I think the first, maybe our first encounter was in a, a like a Taco Bell in a shopping mall where whenever I had, mm-hmm. whenever I felt like I needed some, some Mexican yeah. flavors in my mouth. I mean, Taco Bell, some people hate it. I, I don't have an opinion about it. Obviously, the quality of the ingredients to me is what makes uh, a food great and not the, the preparation. If you imagine a hard shell taco with a proper corn, nice uh, quality meat uh, and a nice cheddar, that, that could actually be extremely delicious. No, the, the problem, I think it's more the mm. quality of the ingredients and the seasonality. No? Yeah. Do you, do you remember what your impression was of, of trying Taco Bell? Yeah, it was obviously like, I miss Mexico more now. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine you biting it with a frown. <laughs> Here's where I actually had the gall to say to Chef Enrique Olvera, one of the greatest chefs on the planet, the owner of Puyol, considered by many to be the pinnacle of Mexican fine dining, to tell him this. Um, I have to admit, I love Taco Bell. Um, <laughs> I grew up in the Midwest, and it was like something I ate a lot as a kid. And I'm not even going to try to justify it. I just I like the I like the taste. I don't I don't think of it. I don't expect much out of it. Um, but, uh, but have you found that 
the quality of the ingredients, even in Taco Bell, has has uh, declined a little bit. No, I don't think it's been up or down any any which way. I think the iceberg lettuce has always been just like a crunchy kind of watery thing. Uh, I think the beef has always been this like you know it's been what it. I can't I can't really picture any change in Taco Bell. I think it's been pretty consistent. Because, um, for example, here in Mexico, we I, I used to eat a, a sadi shirt. There were like little pastries that were sold individually, like in grocery stores, like a tinky gonder. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Are you mm-hmm. familiar? So it was like a cake filled with uh, cream with uh, mm-hmm. fruits. But no. those were amazing because it was a cake with fruit now. And, and now I think with all the conservatives and they probably don't use fruit anymore, but they use like a like a fruit puree, and now right, they right. taste artificial. Right. Uh, one of the reasons that we're all very excited about eating good food is that it's harder and harder to to get uh, quality ingredients. Funnily enough, we touched on an instance in which American cuisine had crossed over into Mexico and touched on an ingredient we discussed earlier in the show: chicatana ants. A friend of mine told me uh, a couple of years ago, he was uh, walking uh, in downtown Oaxaca too, and uh, they, they were selling a bag of Doritos uh, and they were adding uh, the ants in a sauce in the bag. And he said it was one of the best <laughs> things he ever ate. <laughs> so Mexicans are also creative like that. Oh, yeah. Ants and Doritos, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the Frito Lake can make a flavor. <laughs> can you imagine? I would definitely eat it. So come on. But the problem is, then it would become not actual ants. And we'd be talking a, a year from now and be like, ah, they used to make Doritos with real ants. And now they just have ant flavor. <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> it's too expensive. I know. I asked Felipe about what he thought about American Mexican food. Now, I was born and raised in the Midwest, so I gotta tell you, I have a soft spot for casseroles. And I was happy to hear that Felipe had a certain reverence for the enchilada casserole. What is the enchilada casserole, you may ask? Well, here's Felipe's take on it and how it, shall I say, stacks up to his mom's enchiladas. It looks like a a lasagna made out of tortillas, (laughs) which is um, an easy way to make enchiladas, man, which is genius. You're not even gonna roll them up. How you do it? Um, you make a wall in your yeah, casserole yeah. with tortillas, and you put um, enchilada sauce with cheese, and then you layer more tortillas on top, and more cheese and more chicken, and you just start layering tortillas, man, till you have a, a wall of tortillas, <laughs> and you have your enchilada casserole. <laughs> like my mother's enchiladas were not made with multiple cheese. Mm. My mom would not have enough that type of cheese right, to go right, around. Right to make enough enchiladas for um, eight right. people. Yeah. It's just different. That's the kind of wall I could get behind, too, is uh, yeah. an enchilada wall. Yeah, One that you can eat your way through. <laughs> With sour cream. I asked Felipe and Enrique the classic counter jam question. If you were stuck on a deserted island and you could only eat one Mexican dish for the rest of your life, what would it be? Felipe's answer was no surprise. I was going to say shrimp cocktail, but man, I'll pick your tire shellfish after a while. <laughs> There's only so much shrimp cocktail you can have. <laughs> yeah, but if you feel they all beans, man, with, with cheese on top, man. He's, oh, yeah. I love it. And um, red punch. You mean like like Hawaiian punch, right? Like the, the red yeah, stuff. Yeah, Hawaiian punch. That's good stuff. And what about Enrique? What exotic dish would he eat for the rest of his days? He answered without a moment's hesitation. Absolutely quesadillas. 
hundred <laughs> percent. And what kind of quesadillas? Just a, a, a corn tortilla with quesillo, a little pasote, and a, a salsa made with uh, serranos, uh, heirloom tomatoes, no, and a, a little uh, cilantro and onion at the end. I'm happy with that for the rest of my life. Basta. Basta. I would also like a beer if possible. I'll give you a beer. We'll give you a beer. You're stuck on an island. You can have a beer. <laughs> give it up for the quesadilla, y'all. I gotta agree with Chef Enrique. It is quite the perfect dish and definitely worthy of being on the island. And as we've learned, it's just one culinary drop in a rich ocean of ingredients and traditions. Just in this episode, we've talked chiles and nogada, Birria tacos, colitas de pavo, chicatana ants, frijol con puerco, mole, and much more. And we're just scratching the surface. Like Enrique's grandma's chiles and nogada, there are many, many layers to the cuisine. We're going to close out with this tune, a banger of a song featuring those classic, bright, brassy Norteño horn lines. Enjoy Tengo La Voz by the Nortec Collective. Thank you so much for tuning back into Season 2 of Counter Jam. It's great to be back. We've got a lot of fun stuff in the works. And here's where I drop that obligatory podcast plug. Please consider leaving a friendly review in Apple Podcasts. Shout out to our guests Felipe Esparza and Chef Enrique Elvera. Shout out to the Nortec Collective and Nacional Records for providing the music. Shout out to Bananas and Plantains Everywhere for being the perfect sidekick to nearly everything. Shout out to Food52, Harry Sultan, and especially Coral Lee, Counter Jam's producer, whose magical, mystical talents make the show possible. I'm Peter J. Kim, and I'll catch you on the next episode of Counter Jam.